most wonderful show is Keeping up with the Joneses Should we apologize to our listeners? We probably should. We were really tired yesterday, so we didn't record a podcast. It should be noted, it is a holiday weekend here in the United States, so we thought we'd, you know, not record a podcast and enjoy an evening off. But fear not, we have not left you in the lurch as we'll put this one out, and you should only be a day without listening to our dulcet tones in your ears. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How was this week, babe? It was a good week. Uh, I managed to come up with the new recipe for the coffee soda that I can do at home now. Do you want to talk about that? Mm-hmm. Well, um, Steadfast Coffee and Highbrow and Crema all have something called a coffee soda, which I thought sounded disgusting until I had one. And now I'm fully addicted. But they're like $6 and they're really far away. So necessity being the mother of all inventions, you did what? I went and bought orange San Pellegrino because orange is one of the flavors in there. Yep. And mixed it with slingshot concentrated cold brew coffee. And Bob is your uncle. I have a cold brew coffee soda. So good. Okay. So coffee fans, that's what you need to do. Is there any parts you need to know for a recipe? It's like one part coffee to two parts San Pellegrino? I use about half a can of San Pellegrino in some ice in a highball glass, which is about eight eight or ten ounces. And then about an ounce or so of the slingshot coffee. It just you make it look the the right color and it, it'll taste fine. I love the way you say about you're so Canadian. Thank you. Um, this week was mostly domestic stuff. We did lots of doctors and dentist appointments. We did. I just realized when I was reviewing what we did. We also, and I can't believe I'm excited about this, but got window treatments in the house. Mm, we did. They're fantastic window treatments. Is this like a middle age thing that suddenly you're like, oh, look at my blinds. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> but I took the day off work to be excited about somebody coming and installing blinds. Yes. Which we should know. Several people in our community were very sweet and surprised us with a gift when we moved into a house. Ad- admittedly, they uh, thought they were going to buy a TV or a sofa. But instead, we used their money to buy blinds. Yes. So all of those people who gave to us will have you over and you can admire your blinds that you bought us. Thank you very much for those. Yes, they're blackout blinds. I'm sleeping better and it's because of you. I'm helping you sleep better tonight by having blackout blinds, but you're having a problem every morning. Do you want to let our listeners into the little marital discord we have at the moment? We have these four floodlights that are hue lights and Alan has set them to... Supposedly, they're supposed to fade on so that they're on by six, but their fade is not working for me. So at like 5.42, I'm like, why is there a bright sun shining in my face? And it's these stupid floodlights and you sleep through it. I have to like wake you up to tell you the lights are on. It's really annoying. So we're not going to do that anymore. Yeah, we have these Philip Hue lights, which I really like. I don't know if it's a bug in the software, but they're literally supposed to fade in gently. And I have them on a 20-minute fade. So at 5.40, they should slowly begin fading in till at 6 a.m. They should be, uh, you know, a, a nice brightness to wake us up. But apparently they just go to killer uh, interrogation at 5.40. And lights are right above our eyes. And for whatever reason, you don't seem to like it. I don't like it. And you sleep through it. It's so annoying. And then this morning was Labor Day. We should have been able to sleep in. And what happens? Our stinking lights come on before 6 o'clock. We also had a highly social weekend. We ended up having a shower at our house. We did. There was a lot of estrogen in our house. There was an enormous amount of estrogen. How many women came over? Uh, 
I think there were 16 women. And those women can decorate. Dude, they made our house look amazing. And the food was fantastic, too. They really did. Yeah, really good. You know there's a strawberry cake left over in our fridge. What? Yeah. No, there's not a strawberry cake left over in our fridge. Oh. Um, uh, Shaylee is pointing to her tummy saying, (laughs) that's my strawberry cake. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, that's only fair because the shower was in honor of Shaley, who we'll introduce in a second. Then we had our friend sleepover, who was also Bright and Shaley and their kids, and yeah. they're here today. And then we have friends over tonight for our barbecue. So we are social monkeys. We're being very social. For us, this is positively providential. I don't know what that phrase means. Is I don't know. That, is let's that a just, Canadian thing? Let's go with that. Okay. Yeah. It's super providential. Yeah. <laughs> How should we can? Providential. Positively providential. <laughs> All right. Speaking of which, we want to introduce you to two of our friends, Brett and Shaley Ratliff. Say hello to everybody. Hello. Hello. You've been very good just listening to us silently as we ramble about our week. <laughs> and one of them is highly pregnant. Yes. So it's the, not me. The, <laughs> so the shower was in your honor. Yes. What was that like? It was amazing. It was actually a mother's blessing, which is slightly different than a shower. So oh, well, how, what's the difference? Instead of it being all about the baby, they actually came together to just bless me. Yay. And you got to eat a big strawberry cake. Yes. Chief among the blessings, I would imagine. Absolutely. That looked ridiculous. When Betsy makes a strawberry cake, you eat the strawberry cake. Let me tell you. Mm-hmm. They got here, I don't know what time, on nine Saturday morning, and they... It was astonishing how beautiful they made our house look. I was like, could you just come back and do that? I, I almost thought about getting you pregnant again, AJ, just for the <laughs> strawberry cake and the... the, the no? There's some other things that are going to have to happen there for that to happen. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we could ask Betsy for a strawberry cake without having to go the whole route of having another child. <laughs> uh, well, let's try that. Yeah, that would be... Okay. easier. <laughs> so, Brent and Shaley, we've wanted to have you on the podcast for a while. I wanted to... Just by way of people who don't know you, because if you're not in our culture at Grayson, you probably would know Brett and Shaley are our youth pastors, but long before they were our youth pastors at Grayson, they were our friends long before that, they were students on the school, which is where we met. Why don't you tell your story of how we met, and you can start wherever you want up until how you came into contact with the Joneses. In 2011, a friend of mine called me and said that there was a school of supernatural life starting here in Nashville. And she knew that I had always wanted to do the Bethel school of ministry. And so she said, you should check it out. I know the lady AJ Jones, who's doing it. It'd be a great idea. And at the time Brett was playing for the Titans. So I thought it was a terrible idea. Okay. Stop right there because some of our listeners are not from America. They won't know what the Titans are. I didn't know what the Titans are and I live in America and I live in Nashville. So explain to us what the Titans are. The Titans are Tennessee's uh, American football team in the National Football League. Is it called American football or do you guys just call it football because you're in America? Honest question, not being funny. We only call it football, but we if have I have to explain audience. it for a global audience, it would be best to say American football. You moved to Nashville to be on the Titans team? Yes. When did you get to Nashville? In 2011. Oh, so you just got to Nashville and yep. that's why your friend... Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. We came in early 2011. And she called and said, they're starting a school this fall. You should look into it. And long story short, I did end up applying. I got in. And the week 
that orientation was happening. Brett got cut by the Titans. And so I called to let your assistant know that we were not going to be able to do the school because we'd be moving. And she said, why don't you just come to orientation and see what you think? And we'll go from there. And so we headed to orientation and we fought the whole way. Right before she hung up the phone, she said, why don't you bring Brett with you? Which looking back now, she said was a totally Holy Spirit thing because that was not her original plan. And so I came kicking and screaming. So you came, you had no intention to do the school. Mm-hmm. You, you were just a football player who this was going to be ideal for your wife while you were on the team. She was going to come and do the school and I would give her something to do. Yep. And I came and just was like, this is so dumb. Why am I going to an orientation of something I'm not planning on even doing? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, and every time we'd been cut before that, we had to move so quickly. We both felt like that was going to be very silly to be going. So we showed up very angry with each other and walked through the door. And as soon as we walked through the door, yeah, we walked through the door and started meeting people. We sat down, Alan, I believe you got up and started talking about what the school is going to be about. And I just was like, this is why we're in Nashville. Cause we'd, we'd been saying we'd been, we wanted to do the like BSSM wanted to be in ministry school. And it was like, God brought us to Nashville for this. So you came for football, you stayed for SOSL. Yep. I went to, right after that, I went up to AJ and said, hey, is there any chance that I could do the school as well? <laughs> so that's amazing. In an uncharacteristic move, we'd let you in on the day of orientation to a school you had no intention of coming to. Yes. I, I remember when you guys walked in and the Lord said to me, he's going to want to do it, so be ready for him to ask. And then you came up with a break and we're like, uh, is there any chance? Like, Yeah. And what were you thinking, Shaley? Because you're quite the high planner and your plan was for you to do the school. How did you feel about your husband gate crashing your... Well, on the way to orientation, we fought because he was upset. And on the way home from orientation, we fought because I was upset telling him (laughs) this is a terrible idea. How are we going to afford for both of us to do this? This wasn't the plan. Because help me understand, uh, had you effectively lost your job? When you say cut from the Titans, does that mean you're no longer paid by the Titans? Yes. So in the NFL... They have 90 players on a roster during right. the whole offseason. At the end of training camp, into the offseason, they cut down to 53. Okay. You only get paid when you're on the 53-man roster. So I went the entire offseason not getting paid. Then I got cut right before I was going to get paid. And now we're leading into we don't have any money. And and typically what happens is you you had mentioned, Shelley, that when you're cut, you get snapped up by other teams. So your life before moving to Nashville looked like what? Um, just constant moving. We moved 14 times in seven years. So we were used to, if we got cut or traded by a team, having to just pick up and go right then. But like how much notice do you get? So in 2009, I got traded to the Cleveland Browns. I was, in, I was at the New York Jets and got traded and they... That was a Saturday. They asked if I could be there Sunday night. Literally so we, that fast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You just so pack we, up your house and move. We yep. we left. And at that time, they the because I was traded, the Cleveland Browns paid for a moving company. But fast forward a year and a half, 2010, end of training camp. I was re- released by the Browns and the Jaguars picked me up. And they wanted me down there the next day. They flew me out the next day, which left Shaylee to do all of the packing and moving herself. With two children. With two Mm -hmm. children. And that was your life for... Six years. For six years, just trading, moving, constant flux. So Mm -hmm. no wonder you're thinking, wait, so we just signed up to do an eight-month school and we haven't really been in one place for for eight months. How is this going to work? Oh, and also we don't have any income. And the lease on our apartment was up in two weeks. Good times. Yeah. 
But as we'll find out, you guys roll really, really well with uncertainty, which is not actually your personalities. You guys love plans and stability, but you do remarkably well with tumultuous, adventurous changes to those plans. Thanks. I think at the time for me, it was, I just, I felt what better place to be in. We're in a major time of uncertainty of how long, how long is my career going to continue on? What better place to be than in a ministry school? with a bunch of people who know how to hear the voice of God. And, and the day that you signed your contract with the Titans, you, you had four teams pursuing you. We prayed and asked God to close three doors and open one wide. And he did by that afternoon, three teams had dropped out. The Titans said they wanted you, you signed the contract. And I walked out of the room and the Lord spoke to me and said, this is a means to an end. And I was really excited. So I came in and told you, I just heard the voice of God. He said, it's a means to an end which was slightly offensive. And I was like, wow, what are you saying? I'm going to get cut. <laughs> oh, this is before all that happened. <laughs> this is before yeah. all that happened. Ever the little prophet. Okay. So then fast forward six months, he's like, this is it. This is why we're in Nashville. We're meant to do the school together. Unbelievable. I didn't, I actually didn't know a lot of that. Or maybe I did and I just didn't store it in my mind palace, but I forgot <laughs> all of that. So all I remember is you guys would show up to SSL and... I, I would imagine because you've been on a training roster, you, you would constantly be snacking. Like, eating. Like your world was working out. I mean, when and I would eating. hug you, your back had six packs. Like plural. <laughs> it was ridiculous. I'd never seen anybody so muscular. As, I mean, it was just crazy. I was like, who is this giant of a man? Because you're a quarterback, right? Yes. And so all I remember is throughout school, you would sit in the front row and you would both have two hampers packed with food and i would always know if <laughs> i just drinks. if i hung out with drinking. you guys there would always be there would always be food or drink there's 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 very few things that i plan in my life one of them is food so i'm always prepared with oh food. you are we're very proud of our reputation for having good food with us and hydration mm-hmm. i think too your uh your physical hunger is matched by your spiritual hunger because that was my residue of watching you guys is like yep you know you're super you know hungry and you're eating your food but you were equally if not more hungry for whatever god was going to give you so going back to your time on the school you were with us for eight months on the school what would you say your big takeaways were from the school give me two each for me number one learning the father heart of god walking in as a nfl football player that was my identity I was Brett, the football player. That was what I was known for. That was what I was given attention for. That's how I made my money. And coming into the school with the leaders, not knowing anything about football, which was great, but also being in a... <laughs> I think we proved that a couple of times that we knew absolutely nothing about football. <laughs> then also being in a more of a... The people who come were coming into the school at the time were really into music and not really into sports. So I wasn't seen as Brett the football player. I was seen as Brett. And I left the school as Brett the son. So wow. My identity completely shifted from football is what I do, or football is wh- who I am, and I need football too. Football is just what I do. I can do anything. I'm a son. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. That's or amazing. How football, or how football's going. Oh, I love that. I hadn't figured it out. So would I be right in assuming that your value to a team is only as good as your last game? Yes. So it's hugely performance oriented, obviously, because you're a pro athlete. Yes. So that's fascinating. I never even considered that our culture would be devoid of the normal way that people would want to connect to you. 
Yes. Was that weird for you too, Shelley? I mean, I remember you talking about the joys and in inverted commas of being an NFL wife that usually people would be connecting to you for to get to Brett. Mm-hmm. It was hugely impactful for both of us. We walked in as the quarterback and his wife. That's what we were treated as. It's what we were referred to in our daily lives. I was only seen as Brett's trophy wife, somebody he took around with him. And so often that was really hurtful because I really wanted to be my own person, but I didn't know how to come out of the shadow of all the NFL comments and things. And here we step into the school and do intimate life with 30 students and an entire staff. And not once were we ever treated like a quarterback and his wife. We were Brett and Shaley and we found our identity again in being Brett and Shaley. And then we found even more of our identity in being sons and daughters and being able to even parent and all of that. It, it was massive. I remember we had to leave Nashville because Brett had signed with the Buccaneers just before school had ended. And so we were going to have to finish it online. And my assumption was that our leadership would be upset with us for leaving and that the students would forget about us. That's probably what we'd kind of experienced in the NFL in some ways. And instead, everyone threw us a party and celebrated us and celebrated that Brett had signed with a new team and wrote us individual encouraging words and prophetic words. And it it just blew my mind. I didn't even know how to receive that kind of celebration in the midst of we were choosing to leave early for a job. And then while we were gone, we really wanted to come back for the conference, but we couldn't afford to come back for a conference and graduation. Right. So we were having to choose one of the two. And when our fellow students who were all raising money for outreach found out that we couldn't afford to do both, they pooled their money together and paid for our family to come up for a conference that was completely unnecessary. And again, that just completely wrecked my heart. We were the ones that had just signed with an NFL team and all of our our fellow students who were struggling to just meet their outreach funds blessed us financially that way. I love that. Uh, yeah, that's incredible. So, Brett, you gave me a number one thing. What was the number two thing? We gained a community that we didn't had have before then. We jumped around so much, and we didn't know where we were. We, I, I'd said the 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 comment multiple times. I'm like a chameleon. I can fit in anywhere, which was true. I, but I, but with a chameleon, you're never actually your true self. You mold into what wherever you are. And it wasn't until we walked through the school that I learned that I caught myself, that's not actually a true statement. And I'm actually now able to be fully me, fully Brett and welcomed for that. And when we talked, after we'd left, we talked about what do we want to do when football's over? We said, we want to go home. And we both looked at each other and it's like, Grace Center is home. Shaley, I don't know if you just piggybacked off of Brett's number one, or if that was your number one too. But what were some of the standouts from the school for you? Yeah, that was definitely my number one. Uh, Number two for me was also community-based. I had never been in a community where I could make mistakes and still be equally loved and welcomed as when I was performing well. And that wrecked my heart so much because I was so performance-based. I was so used to if I did well, then I got accolades. And if I didn't do well, then... I was being shamed for it. So to come in and to be learning how to um, prophesy and how to pray for people and, and to be in the process of making mistakes and still loved and still welcomed and things that it, it just changed everything. Gosh. So good. 
you know, in January when you went down and you, you were going down to Tampa Bay, I think, because the quarterback was injured and you chose to pray for him to get healed instead of choosing you having a secure job. And I love that story. So when we signed on in the school, we knew that there was going to be a break towards the end of December, beginning of December. And so we immediately started praying into God. We'd love to be picked up the last four weeks of the season because we don't want to miss any of the school. And it was Sunday night and Shaley told me, Hey, Brett, I think you should pack a bag just as an act of faith that you're going to be picked up. Someone's going to call tomorrow. And so I packed not knowing, you know, how do you pack for a place you don't know where you're going? And so pack a bag Monday morning. Sure enough, I get a call from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because their starting quarterback had just gotten hurt. And so I fly down, they try me out, end up signing me to the practice squad. And so I'm, I'm fully down there Tuesday, going to the facility on Wednesday, meet all the guys on the team and start practice with them and start getting a feel for, for the guys that are in the room, the three other quarterbacks. And on Wednesday evening, I felt like the Lord told me that I needed to pray for the starting quarterback. Um, cause I just, again, learned all these tools in school and was all excited about them. And so going Thursday, nervous about it because the only reason I have a job at the moment is because this guy's hurt. So if he's no longer hurt, I no longer have a job, but I chose to go ahead and do it anyway. So we were, I was walking in the hallway and was walking past him and I just went up to him and I said, Hey man, um, is it okay if I pray for you? And he's like, sure. And so I just told him kind of, kind of the same thing that we learned in the school. I said that I believe that that the Holy Spirit who's inside of us is the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. And I'd love to pray for you to, to see your arm be healed. And so I just prayed for him, let him through a, just a, a quick repeat after me prayer. And he's like, Oh, thanks man. And walked away. Not, and I had no idea what just happened. I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, you know, it's one of those things like, Lord, I'd, I hope he's healed, but I would love to have the job still. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so anyway, we go out to practice and, Sure enough, the, the starting quarterback isn't out there yet. And so it's just not really thinking much about it, but warming up myself. And um, and then we start drills and I notice the quarterback run out and he stops and he talks to um, one of the trainers and he starts throwing a ball and he's, he's like looking, he's kind of taking it gingerly and then he backs up and starts throwing harder, throwing harder. And before this, he couldn't even lift up his arm above his shoulder, couldn't really throw anything throw the ball, like couldn't throw the ball at all. And they thought that he might be out the rest of the season. So anyway, he's, he's full on warming up, throwing as hard as he can. Next thing I know, he runs out to the coach on the field, talks to the head coach for just a minute. And then next thing I know, he's walking into the huddle, telling the second string quarterback to get out of the huddle because, you know, he's the guy. And sure enough, he was totally healed. So amazing. And I ended up they ended up keeping me on the roster the rest of the season. And literally I would go out and stand at practice and do absolutely nothing. Well, the trainers, <laughs> the trainers came to you and said, what did you do to his arm? He says that you, you prayed for him or something and his arm got fixed. Yeah. And so I, I told him the same thing. I just, I told him that I was in a ministry school and I learned about praying for people. And I believed that, you know, that God still heals today. And it was, it was really cool. So you prayed yourself out of a job, but you got to keep your job. Yep. But God was so kind to let you keep your job. Yes. So your timeline is we meet you, you've moved to Tennessee, you get cut from the Titans, but you get to stay 
almost the whole time to do the school. You left a little early because you took a job down there. You pray for the quarterback. You get out of a job. And then what happens? Because I remember having a phone call with you at one point. So we ended up moving down there in March and I went through the entire off season and had one of the best off seasons I've ever had for a team. And it was multi, there was multi, multiple reasons why it was so great. One, I was in great physical shape, but I was in the best spiritual shape that I'd ever been in coming out of the school, right? learning my new identity as a son, who I was, like, it didn't matter how well I did, how well I didn't do, I was still Brett, the son. And so being able to fully go into a place confident in who I am, not confident in my abilities, just confident in who I am as a son and being able to walk that out, I quickly became one of the spiritual leaders on the team. A lot of guys were turning to me and, you know, I was able to share my testimony and, and, and whatnot at times and just had a lot of time to be able to sow into people and not just the players, but everyone in the facility. Um, and then fast forward into training camp, I got to start the last preseason game and was really excited about that and thought I was going to go one way and didn't go that great. I ended up getting sacked seven times and hit 25 times and we ended up losing uh, 30 to three through three interceptions. Uh, but going into the game, my number one goal before my goal would have been, I want to do the best that I can this time. Now with the changed identity, my goal is I want to glorify God in, in my performance and how I play and being able to have such a poor performance, but still be, it didn't change who I was. And I felt like I did like a great job of representing, like not, not getting discouraged, still being encouraging, being the leader on the field. Cause the offensive line didn't show up for me to help me out at all. And I was still the one that was there picking them up, encouraging them. And anyway, walking off of that field, that was, I, I had the sense that it was the last time. And I remember just kneeling down, like weeping, not because the game went poorly, but because I was so grateful for the opportunity. Sure enough, the next day I go into the facility and I was released. Um, and so we were after, at that point, we're like, what do, what do we want to do? And after, you know, a lot of consideration, we had an opportunity to go back to Colorado with family or move back to Nashville for a church family that didn't on paper, didn't make any sense. Right. Because back in Colorado, you actually had family. Mm-hmm. You could, you probably had a place to stay. You would just pick up some work, but the attraction, what was the attraction to Nashville? Because you didn't have any of those things. It just was what God did in our heart. Like I said earlier, there was a sense of home about Nashville and Grace Center that we we'd never experienced before. And so it was like our hearts were, our minds were saying, that's not wisdom, but our hearts were saying, that's where I come alive and want to be. Let me ask you a question, Shelley. Had you encountered the presence of God like you did at Grace Center before? We had gotten a taste of it um, before... Coming here, we lived in Cleveland, Ohio, and just before we left Cleveland, we found uh, Bethel Cleveland, Steve Witt's church, and we had just been introduced to the Holy Spirit. We had just been introduced to all of this, and we fell in love with the Witt family and what they had going there, but we were uprooted from there so quickly, we hadn't really been able to dig in to that community and that experience And so then we came to Grace Center and instead of feeling like a spectator that was watching what was happening and learning about it, we actually dove in and, and it it just was, it was home of all those moves that we made of all those times that we left places. Never once did we leave a place and say, Oh, I miss home. 
and be referring to where we had just left. And we recognized that was really big for both of our hearts. Um, when he got cut from the Buccaneers in 2012, that was the final game that he played. That was actually the exact same week that our savings ran out. We had been living off of our savings for four years. And so now we were jobless. Our lease was up on our apartment in a month and we literally were just penniless. We just run out of everything. And we recognized that if we came back to Tennessee, it was going to require selling furniture to even pay for the U-Haul to even get to Tennessee. We didn't have a job lined up. We didn't have anything, but our hearts were still here and it just felt like home. We, we were able to look at Grace Center and say, they have something that we don't fully walk in yet. And if we're going to go and invest in something, that's what we want to invest in. That's what we want to become, you know, in 10 years from now, we hope that we more reflect what's going on at Grace Center among all the people there, the inner healing, the father heart, the just walking with Holy Spirit, doing life Jesus's way. What I think is interesting is people who know you now know the end of the story. You, like today, you're our youth pastors, you're on staff, you're pastors at Grace Center, you're recognized within our community. But when you came back, none of, I mean, there weren't any openings. You didn't move back for a job. You moved back for the presence and the community that you felt. If there were a position that we were hoping for at that time, it would have been to be on staff at the school. But you had actually just named all of your small group leaders for the year. Right. And we knew we had just missed the boat. So even the one thing that we would have said like, oh, that would be a heart's desire. We had just missed the boat on that. We knew that that had passed up. So it literally was just coming, just to come be at the church, just to come and serve and volunteer and sew in. And that's exactly what happened. I, I'll, I'll tell this part of the story because you probably won't. Uh, I just loved watching you move as the priority being the presence of God. Like you sacrificed, I mean, in one sense, you'd run out of everything, but you sacrificed all your other opportunities pushed all your poker chips to the center of the table and said, I just, we want what we experienced in the presence of God. So you move back and I'm right in thinking that you end up working at Costco. You're stacking shelves at like 3 a.m. in the morning. What, what were your hours? I just watch you get up. Uh, and watch 4 a.m. I'd be uh, in, checked in by 4 and I'd, use, I'd do six night. days a week from 4 a.m. to 10 a.m. And that's what you were doing from being a quarterback in the NFL to now stacking shelves. Stacking shelves and then two days a week I would... Um, I would do the be at the front of the store doing the bo- like boxing the boxing all the groceries and putting them in people's carts. And that the thing was really I, interesting. And the thing <laughs> I've the thing I've learned about you, Brett, and and honor where honors do, is whatever you do, you do unto the glory of God. Like whatever you do, whether people's eyes are on you or not, you are fully committed to everything. It's it's amazing. Like you've helped us move house twice, and. That's a sucky process for anybody who's, you know, moved or helped friends move. It's, there's, you know, it's not like, woo, I can't wait to help somebody move. But you just go for it. Like, whatever you're doing, you're like 100% in. And watching you just show up, be a man, provide for your family, just get stuff done. No grumbling, no complaining, total joy. Well, it's just this huge testimony to who you are and your, your character and your, and your awesomeness. Thank you. It was amazing to see. During that season, um, we literally were homeless and broke and jobless for a period of time. And then he finally got the job at Costco. And I've had people ask me since then, oh, did you 
learn about like the faithfulness of God in that season? Obviously the answer is yes, but I also learned what an incredible person I was married to. Um, I remember going one morning to Costco because I knew he would have a break and the kids and I could see him really quickly, but we had to sit over in the little cafe station and watch him finish putting groceries in someone's cart. And it was the same old lady who would yell at him every time she went through for the way that he put her eggs in her, her cart. And I remember watching this unfold as he's standing there putting groceries into this cart and this woman's getting after him again, even though he's doing it the way that she asked. And he just has a smile on his face and honored her and was so polite. And I remember thinking, this is crazy. 30 days ago, he was in a stadium filled with hundreds of thousands of people cheering and chanting. And now here he is putting groceries in a cart with the same enthusiasm and good attitude and smile and work ethic. Like just, he's an incredible human being. Yeah. With a six pack for a back. can you guys tell a little bit of um the precursor to you guys knowing the lord and stuff i'm just thinking anybody who uh anybody who meets you now um you guys act like you're newlyweds even though you've been married for a good long time and you know you're just you would never read on on either of you or on your marriage or the way that you guys interact, any of the stuff that actually you guys have walked through and seen victory in. And I'm just thinking there might be some people that are listening to the podcast that are maybe uh, in a difficult season in their marriages um, and could maybe use the encouragement of, hey, you know what? God's still in the business of healing marriages. We have been married for 10 years. We just celebrated our 10-year anniversary. Mm-hmm. Woohoo! And we were reflecting, we met when we were, I was 19, Brett had just turned 20. Neither of us were walking with the Lord. I grew up in a home where we didn't, there was no religion or anything. Brett did grow up in a Christian home, but had completely walked away from the Lord. And we met and married in nine months. Wow. And really young. Yeah. And we just kind of went about all of it the wrong way. Um, Yeah, we... We were both really into partying at the time. We believed that uh, drinking a lot of alcohol was a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And at the time, we were at the University of Utah. Uh, I was playing football there. Shayla was going to school there. And uh, anyway, we we hung out a lot. And our our relationship progressed way faster than I think both of us thought it would. Um, And next thing we know, we're engaged. And getting married, like Shaley said, met and married in nine months. And looking back, it's like, why did anybody think this was a good idea? <laughs> How did, why did our parents allow this? Um, and we kind of joke now, it's it's almost like God put blinders on us and glued us together and said, hey, work it out. But, you know, we ended up getting married uh, June 2nd, 2006. It was just before my senior year uh, of college at Utah, Shaley's senior year in school and, um, I think it, it it started off as good as it could go, being that young and that immature, and um, and then football started going well, and things started happening, and I ended up getting an opportunity to go to New York uh, to try out for the Jets, and we ended up spending um, six months of our first year apart. Yeah, that's not a good idea, is it? <laughs> and we ended up missing our uh, one-year wedding anniversary. 
So I think we were two really good-hearted people who got married really young, very immature, very self-centered, but we had we both had such big um weight of baggage that we carried in and I think we both hoped getting married that would fix it and it would all go away and instead it emphasized it. So for our 1-year anniversary I asked Brett for a divorce. <laughs> Every man's dream. Yes. Happy anniversary, darling. I want a divorce. <laughs> well, yes. backstory then. I I went, when I got out to New York, uh, I was hanging out with a bunch of single guys who were going out to the club. And at the time I was still one, you know, I was walking in a lot of those things of wanting to drink, wanting to, but so I started going out with them, going out to the club, taking off my wedding ring um, and doing a lot of things that a married, married man should not be doing. Um, and so when Shaylee finally moved out to New York, she knew, could sense all this stuff that was not being said, mm-hmm. just women, intuition, all that. Um, but she could never like point to one thing or point to anything. And so when she got out there, we had just grown so far apart. One, because you live, we were living apart, but also when you do so many things behind your back, it's, it's like it drives a huge wedge. And so there's a huge wedge. And mm-hmm. And then add in, we both had, I had control issues. We both had drinking issues, et cetera. It just was a recipe for disaster. Big disaster. So when I got to New York, I told Brett that I wanted a divorce. He begged me to stay and said he'd do anything. And I said, fine, find us a good marriage counselor, find us some help and we'll see if we can work through it. He came home from work that day and said, hey, I found out that the starting quarterback hosts a married couple's Bible study at his house. We could go to that. And I said, that's really dumb. That's not at all what I was looking for. (laughs) But somehow he did drag me along and they were doing the study Love and Respect by Dr. Emerson Egrich. And everything about the study offended me. Um, the thought that I should respect my husband and all these biblical concepts and everything. It just, it, the whole thing was offensive to me. And then the women started dragging me to the women's Bible study and it just was a big hairy mess. But in the processes of all of this, I found out that we were pregnant with our first child. And that gave me probably a little more emphasis of trying to work through some things. And I was not happy about the pregnancy. I didn't, I had just graduated with my bachelor degree. I wanted to head to law school And now I was pregnant and just furious about it. But um, a few months went by, kind of got on board and thought, well, if we're going to do this, let's do it all the way. And we started getting excited. We started buying things. And then in November of 2007, I ended up having a miscarriage and all of my control issues, all of my performance issues, everything came to a screeching halt because I had just failed at the one thing that a woman should be able to do. Wow. And I was I was devastated. We had announced the pregnancy. Everybody knew I was far enough along. I'd been showing. It just it was it was really overwhelming and I didn't have any coping mechanism other than to just drink. And so I did. I just drink all day, every day for 40 days nonstop. Brett would try to talk to me about it. He would try to bring it up and I would just scream at him. And um, I was a functioning alcoholic. I could still get up and drive and go to the women's Bible study and put on a smile and pretend like everything was okay. And then um, just pass out at the end of the day after drinking all day long. And on December 15th, 2007, as I sat up out of bed, I audibly heard the voice of God say, knock it off. And it, it shook me pretty good. 
I went downstairs. I dumped every drop of alcohol down the drain and called one of the women who had been asking me to come to the women's Bible studies. She had had a history with drinking. And I finally just said, Hey, I I have a problem. I think I need some help. She came over and prayed with me. And 10 days later on Christmas day, we found out that we were pregnant with our oldest daughter, Eleanor. And it was the first time I ran into the mercy and the kindness of God. Here I was making a horrible decision that could have injured, you know, my second child. And instead he intervened just in his kindness and um, saved our daughter. And she was born the following year on August 8th on Brett's 23rd birthday. So how did you, I mean, obviously all those things help, you know, stopping drinking, <laughs> going to Bible studies, getting saved, you know, mm-hmm. all that helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I still meet Christians who don't drink, who are, you know, obviously do read the Bible, but their marriages are still not in great shape. Mm-hmm. And I think AJ makes a great point. Like for people who know you now, like for me, you guys are two of the best parents I've I've ever seen. I love watching you, the way you parent your kids. I love you, the quality of your marriage. I think it's amazing. I think a lot of people just think, oh, well, that's, you know, you just got lucky. But from what you're painting, you nearly ended up in disaster, divorce and distress. Mm-hmm. So what, what would you say are the top three things that changed your marriage from that mess to where you are today? Well, at that point, I made some pretty drastic changes. I ended up giving my life to the Lord in February of 2008, and I just started seeking, what does the Bible say? What What is in here? And I started changing pretty significantly, but Brett was still living a double life that I didn't know about. Yeah, so Shaylee gave her life to the Lord in February of 2008. And I was at that point, because I was raised in the church, I was able to talk the talk, but I was still not walking the walk. But Shaylee started learning tools um, on her side. She started praying for me. She started learning how to honor me as her husband. And so a year and fast forward a year and a half, I had all this weight and baggage that I'd still been hiding, still been lying about this whole double life thing going on. And August 25th, 2009, I felt like the, I was at a, I was at a men's Bible study and they're talking about every man's battle and how the truth will set you free. And the Lord just spoke to me and said, if you're not honest now, you're never going to be. So I ended up confessing all this stuff I'd been hiding to all these, this group of guys and they prayed for me. And at the end I felt like God say, you're not done yet. And so I ended up going home from that meeting and confessing everything to Shaylee, not knowing what that was going to produce, not knowing if she would leave me, divorce me, whatever it was going to be. But I got to a point where I was like, this is so heavy and so, so dark. I can't handle this anymore. I've been trying to, and I ended up telling Shaylee, I've been trying to fix myself for years. I'm just asking you to give me another chance to let Jesus fix me. And so from that point on, it was this full relentless pursuit of Jesus because for, we had, both, of for both of us, we had, we had so screwed up our lives and our marriage doing things our own way. And we finally got to that broken place of this isn't working. We need to do it Jesus's way. And since August 25th, 2009, we've done everything we can to be intentional and in, in pursuing the things of God and what he says about marriage and how to, how to better our relationship with one another. And that started with going to pretty intense premar- or pretty intense marital counseling. We did that for about a year and a half. We did other, other studies, other books, um, dating each other. 
on a weekly basis. Um, we started pursuing other couples who are older and wiser than us and asking questions. Um, I think it just got to that place where, you know, we live in a country where we have the freedom of speech. We have all these rights. And as a, as a human, I have all these rights. I can do what I want, but we'd been doing everything the way that we selfishly wanted and it wasn't working. And so we finally got to a place where we said, actually, Jesus, we want to know what your way is. And we're going to give up all of our rights to pursue the promises that you have for our marriage and, and try that out. Um, we just began to say, we're going to choose his way. And we started seeing fruit and we started seeing life come on things. And, um, you know, logically you look at Brett coming and telling me that he's been lying to me for four years in our marriage. Nobody's going to look at that logically and say, that's a good idea. No wife is going to be happy to hear that. Right. But Jesus's promise to Brett was you have to tell her to be free of this. And so he took the words of Jesus and said, okay, I'm going to trust you and came and told me. And yeah, it was hard. We went through a year and a half of agony working through all of that. But Jesus is faithful when he puts an offer on the table for you. And so little by little, we kept pursuing his ways instead of our ways, his promises instead of our beliefs, his truths instead of our culture's ways. And we just started seeing fruit and life on that, both in our marriage and in our parenting and on and on, which is why we were so interested in pursuing the ministry schools and things. Good Lord. I love it. I love that story. I'm looking at the time. I'm realizing you have to go because you have a maternity massage (laughs) that you do not want to miss. But guys, thank you so much for taking time out to come and just share a little blip of your story. We love doing life with you, Lou. We love being in relationship with you. We love watching what has happened in your lives. And we love using you as a as an example for people whose marriages are in crisis to go, no, divorce isn't uh, the option you're looking for. Like it is absolutely possible for God to redeem anything. Mm-hmm. And I just love watching you with your great family about to expect your yeah. third. I think I love too that your kids don't even have a residue of anything either. It's like meeting you guys, you would think you're the perfect family and there's <laughs> been no nothing, you know, and I love that. Because I love that God has so fully redeemed everything like that. So, yeah, we love you guys. We love it that our kids are growing up together. Mm -hmm. We love it too. Thanks for having us. So thanks to Brent and Shaley for being on the show. Thank you to you guys for listening. Apologies that we were a day late with this. We hope you have an incredible week and we will be back on Monday with another episode of Keeping Up With The Joneses. See you next week. Faith, life, communication, tacos and video games. Paleo donuts and the kindness of God The things we deal with every day From Franklin, Tennessee They are just like you and me Alan and AJ Keeping up with the Joneses Keeping up with the Joneses Sharing their life experiences Keeping up with the Joneses Talk about faith in God And everything under the sun If you are a human being There's something here for everyone